This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get, try and get, I should say, in on their 100,000 bracket madness contest starting March 15th. That's right. I said it. 100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action. And with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome in to episode 67 of Press Pass, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Kayla Anderson, alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. And uh, he had a big weekend. And I'm going to just let you tell the audience out there, if they don't already know, why it was a big weekend for, for you, Joshua. Well, I uh, popped the question to my wow. now fiance on Saturday. Very cool. Um, so tell tell everybody, because you guys have known each other for a long time. Yes. And we want to know like how you did it, because that's what all, girls are always interested in. Well, how did you propose? Yeah, so I had a little bit of a, a plan made up. Uh, mm-hmm. First off, it was Leap Day, so Ooh. a very unique occasion, um, and I wanted it to be a memorable day, uh, but not like a Valentine's Day or a New Year's because that's a little bit sure. played. Yep. So I had it planned that we were going to go to dinner uh, with some friends of ours at Milestone 229, which is downtown Columbus, right along the river. Yep. Great views of the city, the whole deal. So we're driving down and my friend texts and he's like, hey, I'm backed up at the hospital right now. It's not looking good for dinner. So Maddie was like, oh, man, like I was really looking forward to this dinner with our friends, da, da, da. And I was like, oh, that's perfectly fine. Like, we'll just catch up with them later. You know, we'll have a little bit of time to go walk down by the river now uh, sure. while it's still light out the whole deal. So we're walking down there. Like I said, best views of the city, really great scenery, you know, folks down there walking their dogs and taking photos and she's just taking in all the beauty when she's pointing to this girl like oh look she's got a camera around her neck like she was down here taking photos I'm like yes one of the great parts of the city to do it and then we get over to the bridge and that's where my photographer is standing 
And she's oh. like, yeah, look at that guy over there taking photos too. I'm like, yep. Um, and oh. so we keep walking along and then I stop and I grab her hands and I'm like, you know, this is a special day, February 29th that only comes around once every four years. But this moment comes around once in a lifetime. Oh and I told her how much I loved her and now I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And she was just in tears at this point. Oh like, my goodness. Couldn't believe it. And then I had a little uh, champagne toast set up at the house with some of her family and my family, um, a couple of close friends. Yeah. And it was supposed to be a surprise, but I didn't realize it was going to take everybody as long as it took for them to set up. So I texted them when we were leaving that I was on the way back and they texted me back and said that they needed a little bit more time, but I don't text and drive. So I yes. didn't see the text. Yes. And and something in my soul told me to take the long way home and, you know, just kind of like, you know, really, really do it up. Cause you know how it is driving up 315 headed North. Yes. There are some beautiful subdivisions and some really nice homes and, you know, do that whole, like, you know, this could be our life type thing, like yeah. really do that. But I was like, no, nah, I want to get home so she can see her family. And we pull up and my boy Craig is in the driveway and she's looking at me like, what the hell is going on? And Craig comes up to the car and was like, JP, we told you we needed more time. He's like, oh, uh, he said, he said, drive around the block a couple of times. And then when you come in, act surprised. So that was, <laughs> and Maddie's like, we're not doing that. So, oh God. Yeah. But it was, it was all good though. She was just taken aback. Like I've never seen her. So oh. at a loss for words. And that was really impressive for me. And, and she always thought that she was going to be able to tell, but like nobody was acting weird. She's really close with my mother. My mother didn't act weird the whole week. Her mother didn't act weird, which was a surprise to me because her mom's very emotional about yep. these types of things. Yep. And it everything worked out the, exactly the way I wanted it to. Well, I just want to say congratulations again to you too. That is so awesome. Um, and, and good way of doing it. I like the... Uh, the scenery and you being able to kind of just do the outdoors, kind of soak in the beauty of, of Columbus. And that's really cool. No, it was, uh, you know, Columbus is both where we've called home. She's, yep. she's lived here her whole life and I've lived here for most of my life. So I think just having that, uh, scenery and then even in the photos kind of with the skyline in the background, like, yeah. I think that just kind of sums up you know, exactly who we are. We're central Ohio people. We love it. We love each other. So it was all great. I love it. It's I'm excited. And next up, uh, planning a wedding. So you're going to have, if you guys need any tips, let me know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sending out a collection too for the wedding. So if anybody <laughs> wants to send a check in the mail, I'll get See, you the address. There, there you go. Right. <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little football. Uh, Joshua, first of all, I did want to ask you, did you get any questions this week? I did. I got a couple of good ones. Okay, good. So we'll look forward to that at the end of the episode. We're going to answer some of your questions that you tweeted at Joshua. Uh, it's coming, becoming a part of our podcast every week, so make sure to go out and do that. Okay, Combine. I know both of us have been really busy. My dad's in town this uh, past weekend. You obviously got engaged, so we didn't exactly have our eyes glued to the TV, but um, it's kind of hard to miss some of the big notes from the combine. So let's start with uh, what everybody always wants to talk about, and that's that's the quarterbacks. And there are a lot of big names in this year's NFL combine going into the draft. So let's chat about the ones that impressed. And I have three names that, that I'm going to put out here to start with, and then you can tell me your thoughts. So Jalen Hurts, uh, I know that a lot of people are split on him 
in terms of, you know, is he an NFL quarterback? Is he not? Um, I don't know if he's a starter, but I think that he has a chance um, to be a good backup. And if his name is called upon, can step up to the plate. So I think he he had a pretty good combine. I, I mean, for being a guy that I think not everybody is sold on. I think his his speed was okay, uh, but his drills were really really good on the field. Uh, Justin Herbert, I don't think a lot of us are surprised that he had a pretty decent combine. I think he's going to go pretty high in the draft. And then Jordan Love, I don't think he disappointed. It was one that a lot of people were looking forward to seeing. Of course, we didn't see him on the big stage a lot uh, during the college football season, but I like what he does. So those are my three that in that impressed for me. Yeah. Um... I, I like Jalen Hurts as a player. I, I like him as a person, definitely. Um, I just don't know if he's necessarily a starter-level guy, like you said. And that's perfectly fine because we've seen guys who are backups that make 12-year careers because they get yeah. in, they're great in the locker room, they know the playbook, uh, coaches like them, and they see the mm-hmm. value in having them around. Um, I hope that's not his path because I would love to see him develop into a player um, that's out there every down. But if it's not, it's not a bad place to be. And I, I agree with you. Like people are, you know, he was, he was very electric in, uh, in college football and he was, he was, you know, known for his ability to run the ball. And then people see his 40 time and it was a, a four five, four and it, or a four, five, nine, something like that. And it's not necessarily an electric time. It's not one of the, the, the track blazing times, but that's plenty fast bad. for yeah. a quarterback. And yeah. he's 222 pounds. That's, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, you know, it's that I think he did everything he needed to do. Like you said, look good in drills. So I'm here for it. Um, Justin Herbert's a guy right now that I mean, you know, we're talking about the top couple of quarterbacks with Burrow and Tua Tungavailoa, but Justin Herbert's a guy that's right there that I think a lot of teams would be happy to have, and uh, specifically some West Coast teams because I feel like that's kind of his vibe and where he would really fit. Um, and then Jordan Love from some of the folks that I talk to that I know, he might be the biggest riser out of really? any position anywhere period like on draft day people might be surprised at how high he goes and the tape was there people have been talking about him but just from seeing him in person at the senior bowl and then seeing him at the combine yeah like teams are starting to really fall in love with that cat yeah when you have back-to-back impressive showings at the the combine um or the senior bowl then the combine I mean that's really gonna catch people's attention and I I'm not surprised that he's going up the board what from from what you've heard what do they really like about him or is it just the overall product it's it's the full package i think at yeah. the senior bowl they they saw how he was able to lead and how he was able to learn and then i think just seeing the physical traits in person you know how he can throw the ball everything else that he does teams see him as a viable starting level quarterback in the nfl so the things uh that we you heard the things that we liked about those guys but there are two guys um, one of them might surprise you a little more than the other. The other we've kind of been dogging on this entire season, no offense, um, but it's just how it, it played out for him. So the two guys that did not impress me, let's start with Jake Fromm. This is not a surprise because Joshua, you and I have been talking about Jake Fromm the entire season. He did not have a great senior season. Yeah, no. And <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he just didn't impress for, for what Georgia was supposed to do and for the offensive line that they had. Jake Fromm underwhelmed. And I just don't think he was accurate enough. I don't think he has a strong enough arm. And that showed in the combine. I just don't think he's a strong quarterback. Yeah. And it's interesting, like you said, like he should have done so much more at Georgia because of the O line, because of the run game, because 
they had one of the best defenses in America. And he just, I feel like he really hurt that team and held them back. And in saying that, I agree with you 100%. I don't think he has the physical traits. Um, and we saw that on the field, kind of little noodle arm guy. Like he, he could hit yeah. dudes down the field when they were open, but like he wasn't really throwing guys open. He's not really a throw it into a window timing kind of guy. So it doesn't really fit in. And it really blows my mind how some of, you know, like these really respectable NFL draft analysts have him as a top 50 player in this draft. I don't see it at all. But, you know, it's not up to me. I don't draft. I see. I don't see it either. And I know that Jake Fromm is, I I know his teammates like him. Um, I don't know how great of a leader is. He seems like he's a pretty, you know, okay leader. But I just think when it comes down to it, um, you know, when I look at him as the overall package, there's just so many holes. And it's crazy because you're, you're talking about a guy that I don't know if you've ever seen the Netflix series QB one, but he was a part. Yeah. He was a part of that class. And he was very highly touted out of high school, but it just goes to show that like, you can't always transform um, to the next level, to the next level. Right. I mean, sometimes it's just, you're not going to make it at that elite level. And I'm not saying he's not going to make it, but at at this point, I just don't see him being an elite quarterback in the the NFL. Yeah. And it's hard to, when you, you weren't an elite guy in college, to just all of a sudden become elite Mm -hmm. in the NFL. And, And not to say that he would necessarily have a bad career because he's definitely got some physical tools and traits that teams would enjoy. Just like, you know, intelligent guy, not going to take that away from him. I think yeah. everybody has has said that. And um, like you said, probably a locker room guy as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got the physical build of a prototypical quarterback. Um, he's played in pro style systems, which teams are going to like, because that'll help transition into the NFL a little bit quicker. But outside of that, I just, I don't love the player. So here's the name that I think some people will be surprised about if you followed him and if you followed some of the analysis leading up to the NFL Combine, because I know there were teams that really liked Jacob Eason. Now, let me just tell you my background on following West Coast schools, because I've been over here in the you know South, in the, the Midwest for a while now, but I still pay attention to a lot of these Pac-12 schools, but I really pay attention to Washington State, my school, and Washington, because I hate the Huskies. I, I, I hate them as much as you hate uh, Michigan or that team up north, as you would say. So I do follow their guys that go, you know, to the next level or what they say about some of their top guys. And Jacob Eason is from Washington. And there's been some, you know, high praise about this kid coming out of of school. So anyway, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll have a pretty decent combine. You know, he's got some good tools, whatever, but I'm not a hundred percent sold on this kid. Well, I guess he had a decent combine when it comes to numbers, but from what I have heard in the articles that I have read, and this does not surprise me, he, he actually did not do well in the interview portion. And I guess he was like overconfident. Can you please explain to me how you can be overconfident, Joshua? Yeah. And I, I think that's a probably a conundrum for quarterbacks. Like, you know, you, as a quarterback, you want to be an alpha dog in every room you walk into and you want to show them that you can command a room and that, you know, like you're that guy that people are going to respect, but that could also mm-hmm. come off as being an a-hole if you don't do it properly. Yeah. And I think that is kind of what happened. And I read the same thing you read, you know, said he was too comfortable, thought that he owned the room Yeah. and he didn't really understand what his personality was like in that room. And I I think that's the part 
that is a little bit more troublesome than anything. Like, you know, you could you could miscalculate your approach, but as long as you have some self-awareness about it, I think teams are like, okay, we can work with this guy. Like we can teach him. It's when you're overconfident and you don't have any self-awareness, it hurts you. Yeah. And they said that he threw the ball really well. I didn't watch the quarterbacks work out. So I'm just, you know, looking through the same thing that we're doing. Yeah, the articles. But Mm -hmm. the analyst said he threw the ball well. He said he was very smooth. He's got some physical traits. Matt Miller, who I have a lot of respect for, he's with Bleacher Report. He does this for a living. Said that he talked to some personnel people. Said Jacob Eason would leave here a top 15 pick. Now, I think that is a lot of reaction. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, you know, teams are going to, have more time to spend with him and really interview him and probably grill him. And he'll he'll level out where he's supposed to go in the draft. But I, I thought it was really interesting, too, how a player could do so well in on-field drills and then be so bad in interviews. And then you go back to flip on the tape, and he's so inconsistent as a player that yes. you just probably leave with more questions than you had answered. Yeah, and, and my my thing is when you're a quarterback – wouldn't you think the interview portion would probably be the portion you felt more most comfortable with where you could be yourself? Because in my in my eyes, being a quarterback is being a leader for that team, yeah. being a voice. And you, like you said, you can't be you can't be a voice that's overly confident um, that comes across as like you were saying, kind of cocky or whatever. Because I think sometimes even people think that Joe Burrow comes across as cocky, but I don't really. I see a little bit through that, just maybe because I. I've seen him at a different level. I think his mentality is different because he's had to really grind to get to where he is, right? Like he had to go through some crap to be at the top. So I think he just has kind of that chip on his shoulder, like I've worked really hard, but I don't see him coming across as that type of guy. I don't know Eason enough, but I do know that Husky mentality. (laughs) And let let me tell you something, it is cocky. That's funny. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll say on uh, on Joe Burrow, from knowing him, I know it's not anything cocky. It's just like the the all the hours that he put in working, yep. Uh, yep. manifesting right now on the field and in interviews and everything else. But I could see how if you didn't know him, he would come across as a little bit cocky or even smug yep. to some people. It's the same thing that you get with Baker Mayfield, where folks who play with him think he's a great teammate. They love yep. the edge that he brings. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, I sit back and I'm like, boy, I can't stand Baker, but like all of his teammates say that he's great in the locker room, great motivator, good leader, alpha dog type of guy. So I think a lot of it also comes down to getting comfortable with people. Like I'm sure somebody's going to go back with Jacob Eason and talk to his coaching staff and some of his former teammates and be like, Hey, is this guy really an a-hole or like, and, and somebody will either tell him like, you know what, he comes across a little bit brash, but he's a great teammate or somebody's going to be like, no, that dude's an a-hole and you got to look out for that. No, that's right. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be now, you know, reaching out to to a little bit further beyond just the inner circles to kind of find out more about him. I can't ever mention a Husky real quickly. I just want to give a shout out. I heard Anthony Gordon, um, Washington State's quarterback, not only did he have a good senior bowl, I actually heard he had a good combine too. So shout out to the former Coug and keeping the quarterback's names alive when it comes to guys from Washington State. So uh Interested to see. I know he's not going to go high in the draft, but just like uh, Gardner Minshew, I mean, Minshew was given a chance. Uh, he was thrown into the fire this past season, and you never know. You know, when a when a quarterback is prepared and has been in a system where they, you know, I guess Leach, you know, he's really done a good job with his quarterbacks, and it showed. So uh, I'm I'm excited about him too. 
No, definitely not. You know, it's it's only only comes down to getting that shot once you get in the league. You know, this draft yeah. thing is very important because it kind of sets the table for your pay structure for the next four years or five years, depending on what round you go and how they can option you. But outside of that, once you get in the league, you just everybody's got to grind. You got to prove why you're yep. there. And when you get the opportunity to step out on the field, you take it and don't look back. All right. So others that wowed, let's start with really quickly. I just wanted to mention this because we, we're not going to talk about a punter for this long, but it is something to point out. So Arizona State's Michael Turk, the only punter, mind you, who participated, record 25 reps of 225 pounds on the bench press. Are you kidding me? This is a he did, punter. He did more than me. Whoa. Yeah. Like, how is that humanly possible being a punter? No uh, these shame. punters but... are weird now. Uh, you you remember Cam Johnson? Oh yeah, I love Cam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Cam was like forty five years old. Came yeah. from Australia, had a receding yep. hairline. Like he was an old man in the locker room, <laughs> and he he looks like a damn action figure now. Dude is yeah. swole. All he does is lift weights now. It, I don't know. These these specialists are so weird. They're just different people. Not a surprise that like one of them, the only one who participated, would come out there and just like kill it. Just kill it. And I will say about punters, let me tell you something about a punter, that um, how valuable they can be if they're that good in the league. They can be one of your most valuable weapons because the Titans this year had Brett Kern. And if you know anything about Brett Kern, he is uh, one of the best, most consistent punters in the league, hands down. Pro bowler, this guy is very athletic outside of football, and that's maybe why he's been so good. Um, But without him, I don't think they would be as good because he has he just was electric for these guys and has been. So, uh, I mean, punters can be very valuable. Yeah, no, it was when we were at Ohio State. I think that was how we were able to kind of get certain games out of hand and then other yeah. games that were really close. It was how we were able to keep the teams at yeah. arm's length was being able to flip the field and, and uh, uh, play defense, uh, having the team backed up. There's nothing like uh, you know, the offense coming out there from the five yard line, from the three yard line and having to go the length of the field because literally 90 percent of the time they won't score points if they're, they, they start yeah. that far back. So, yep, it's a valuable position. Uh, good luck to Michael Turk in his career. That was just very, very impressive. So a guy that, you know, very well because you cover Ohio State in the Big Ten, uh, Jeffrey Okuda built a. Uh, like a a prototypical cornerback and did not disappoint. Now he had, uh, so he had a 448 40-yard dash, but then he had some weird situation where he got hurt during the field drills. Is this correct? Yes. Did you watch him? Uh, I watched clips that they had on social media. Okay. Okay. So So, what what exactly happened there? I I didn't see the injury, but what I was reading was kind of he landed awkwardly um, and took a little bit of time to get back up on his feet. Okay. Doesn't seem like anything that's going to be too crazy yeah. or, you know. Like whatever. I heard he's fine. Yeah. But uh, his workout was super duper impressive. It's Okay. Tell me what makes this guy so special. And because he's clearly a favorite um, and he has stuck out. I mean, it's not like he didn't impress during the season, but I think people are really, really starting to like him now. Yeah, and this is what you said. His build, number one, just a body type, like um, long arm guy. Yeah, you know, has some weight to him, like not too light, but obviously very fast. Four four eight is blazing fast, and then it's really the footwork. When okay. you watch the drills, he's taking he's he's covering a lot of ground, but but he's taking short choppy steps. 
And so it's really hard to backpedal and cover ground while taking short and choppy steps. And what those steps allow you to do is change direction at a moment's notice. So when he's flipping his hips, you know, it looks really smooth. And that's the other thing too. He's got really fluid hips. He's not stiff at all. And part of it's the footwork, but literally the other part is just like being a flexible guy. But that combination there is lethal. Like he's able to, to change directions. His hips can turn completely perpendicular to his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his shoulders are still square to the line of scrimmage. That is ridiculous. Like it's everything you want. And the guy is a dog. Like listen to his interview and somebody asked him, um, you know, two questions he answered, I think, great. The first one, somebody asked him, you know, you looked a little sloppy on tape. And his response was, I had zero holdings. I had zero pass interference. So you better cut the tape back on. <laughs> I, I loved it. And then That's the great. other one was, you know, LSU claims DBU. How do you Ohio State defensive backs feel about that? And he said, LSU can have DBU. We got BIA, best in America. And I was like, okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and you want your cornerback to have that type of mentality, so he's the full package. Yeah, I was just going to say, listen, for those of you, and and it's weird because I think some people might be saying, well, aren't you guys saying, you know, Jacob Beeson was cocky in his interview? Well, wasn't that cocky in your interview? Listen. Do you know? Do you know like the cornerbacks mentality, people? Like you, yeah. you, like hello. Like if I were to pick a position, I would be a cornerback because I'm not. It's it, listen. It's 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 not in my eyes. It's not always cocky. It's more like confident. You've grown up with a chip on your shoulder. You know what you have to do. You talk a little crap, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to have that whole p- package. And so I like what you said about the interviews because he had to show some of that, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to fit into a cornerback's room, you got to have that. And that's the deal. Like, I don't, you know, you're right. It's like a little contradictory. But like when you're, first off, if somebody tries you about your tape and they say that you played sloppy and you absolutely didn't play sloppy, that's not cocky. Like I had zero holdings. I had zero pass interference. So you need to go and check the tape. Like, yeah, dude probably does need to check the tape. You said you were sloppy. Exactly. You know, Ohio State does claim best in America and I don't think that's necessarily cocky to say when you look at the history of the guy, especially no, lately. No, it isn't. No. You know, like, he is he is endorsing his brand more than anything else, and I think that was a power move. It's not like he got in front of the teams and he's acting like that. We probably would have heard some about it. Um, you know, this is just how he wanted to portray in the media um, and build up his own confidence, which is perfectly fine with me. Okay, really quickly, before we get to our last topic, because we got to get to your questions, uh, I wanted to ask you, because I heard – you know, when you when you see the combine, there's all these guys, and some of the guys you see a lot of during the season, some of the guys you don't. You see a lot of these two guys um, that are wide receivers that I thought did a really good job in terms of the NFL combine and the showing. So Donovan Peoples Jones, starting with him, he really impressed me- metrics wise, really good. But he was also smooth on the field showed his ability to track the ball down the field. What do you know about Donovan Peoples-Jones? Did you see anything out of that um, from him this season? Yeah, he he underwhelmed, I think, production-wise. And, and part of that is his quarterback is just not a good player in my mind. I, I hate to disparage mm-hmm. people like that. I just yeah. I don't think that But he's, he's not. He wasn't. No, no he, he's just – he was like, you want a better quarterback in that system, especially with some of the receivers they had this year. I was a little bit surprised that his – inability to get open at times because he's Mm -hmm. you know got good size obviously the vertical 
is ridiculous. And then he had a fast 40. So you expect a guy like that to be able to get open against some of the defensive backfields he would see in the Big Ten. And he didn't. And then the other thing I saw, and I would chalk it up to him probably more than his quarterback because I didn't see it with a lot of the other receivers, is there would be a lot of times where Shea's throwing the ball one way and DPJ is is breaking the other way. And it's a mm-hmm. miscommunication. True. And what it tells me is that he struggled reading coverages yeah. and understanding where the leverage yep. was and which way he needed to be to get open. Now, in saying that, 44 and a half inch vertical, the best thing that he did this year was the the jump ball because nobody could go up and compete with the ball in the air with him. But he's got to be more than just a jump ball type of guy to be successful in the league. His performance is going to get him into some rooms and get some teams interested, but they're going to cut the tape on. They're going to ask him a lot of tough questions. Yeah, and he's going to be able, have to be able to answer those real quickly. Finally, the other guy who I liked, you saw a lot of, uh, Benjamin Victor. So the biggest thing about him is just the, the, the good use of his hands. I mean, he is able to do a lot with that just when it comes to, again, tracking the ball downfield, looked good in that capacity. You saw a lot of him. Does does anything surprise you with with what he did at the combine? Um, no, he ran about how I expected him to. How you I don't, expected, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not necessarily a blazer, but he was never known as a blazer at Ohio State, so that was the expectation. I think he's got great hands. People are going to love his his catch radius because he's a bigger yeah. guy, long arms. You know, get up in the air a little bit, and I see him as kind of a possession guy in the league. I'll be very interested to see if he is a guy who uh, teams are going to be willing to draft. And what I'm saying is, to me, he is kind of one of those day three guys where a team says, hey, we need to bring in some wideouts, so bring him in. I don't know if he's necessarily super high on anybody's draft boards. Sure, This performance definitely did not hurt him. But when you're a guy in his position, I think more of the – interview, answer some questions about your production, about your playing time, all of that is more important than what he did on the field here Mm -hmm. in in trying to make sure that he's drafted by a team. So we talked a lot about the combine and we're going to change directions here just to wrap things up. And two things, one that happened in Indianapolis this past weekend. So everybody got together and supposedly the instant replay officials might have now just a two-minute limit um, to make decision when using videos. This was recommended by the NCAA Football Rules Committee. And Steve Shaw, the Secretary Rules Editor and National Coordinator of Officials, pretty much said, if you get to two minutes, it's time to wrap it up. And really, it's not like they had a ton of extra time. I guess I had read that college football had 2.2 replays per game last year. but I think they're just concerned about that adding up to be too much time. Do you think that's good to just say, hey, we're going to give you a time limit, get it done in that uh, in that minute, two minutes? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's just kind of stupid, honestly. Yeah. And I don't think that anybody's going to adhere to that if they have to make a, a critical game-changing that's decision. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Are, do, yeah. are they going to get the stopwatch out and be like, yeah. okay, guys, like make the right call, but you have two minutes and that's all. Like, well, there you go. If it comes down to replay, which I don't know if I'm necessarily a huge fan of because of how it's used, but if it comes down to it and you're trying to make sure that you get the call right, mm-hmm. then why would you put a time limit on it? Isn't isn't exactly. getting it right more important than how long I it takes? I would think so. 
Yeah, so and I don't think it's taking that much time. It's so. stupid. Yeah, I mean, people, I, we we do some really dumb things like, you know, oh, man, college football games are so long and this and that and this and that. And it's like, okay, well, halftime takes entirely too long. And there are a million commercials, which I'm not mad about because that helps keep my lights on over here. So I'll, it, it is what it is. But, like, yeah. I mean, if, if you want to do some things about the, the pace of play, like, look to the NFL because their games fly by. Yeah, they and do. I don't know what's in the, the secret sauce for them, but whatever they do, I like because the games are really, really quick outside the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, and college can, you know, take a note from this because some of these games are ridiculous. I mean, they are getting longer and longer in terms of, I mean, some of the Big 12 games we show on ABC, which is my affiliate here in Nashville because I work for the news station down here doing sports. And some of the games, like, we don't get on until like an hour after what we were supposed to because of these games. So, I mean, I think it's just finding ways to do it. This isn't necessarily, I don't think this is a big reason that that would change. Um, So I think it's them just wanting to try to talk about it. So this is probably something that they're like, oh, we want to discuss this. You know, we want a say in something. So it'll be interesting to see if they stick with that. The other thing that I thought was ludicrous, and I don't know, I'm just – I just been talking about USC this whole past season and my disappointment with them not being able to rise to the top again or just to be competitive again, which has hurt the entire Pac-12. So when I read you this, to me, this is a cop out. This is saying, okay, well, we can't do it. So we're going to just like, we're going to just peace out on you guys because we we can't pretty much hold our own. So San Jose Mercury News, financial projections for the Pac-12 meteorites. Uh, in 2019 will be 33 million per school. Okay. Contrast that with 44.6 million to SEC schools, 55 million to Big Ten member schools. Big difference in numbers there. Yeah. The revenue gap is only expected to widen in the next four years when the Pac 12 gets a new deal. And now, you know, USC, their athletic director is saying, hey, we're open to taking our talents elsewhere. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, you got to do what you got to do, right? But come on, like, I mean, to me, like, if they're going to realign, and if this is going to be a thing, USC, look at USC in the past how many years? They've been not relevant. And to me, that's a USC problem. And guess what? USC is hurting the Pac-12 then in turn, because you're one of the big names in college football, and you haven't been able to draw in revenue because you guys suck. Well, here's the reality of the situation, is if I'm (laughs) USC... I'm doing two things is number one, I'm blaming everybody else for why we're irrelevant. You know, we don't get enough exposure because, you know, nobody's watching Pac-12 network and nobody's trying to watch a game that kicks off at, you know, 11 p.m. on the East Coast. Okay, I'll give you that. Not oh, when you you're know, good, not good. I Listen, I, listen, they don't have to know all the rest of that. I'm just telling you what I would do if I'm <laughs> USC. You know, hey, you know, we can't get right because we got to sit here and our conference absolutely sucks. And so yeah. we're going to suck as a byproduct of everybody else being bad. So, hey, if we're able to do our own thing, maybe we can negotiate some of our own TV deals. Maybe we can get some games when people want to watch the games. Hey, maybe we can play some better branded programs and, and put a little spotlight on us and we can start recruiting better again. Now, I yeah. think that's all a dang on lie. And part of the reason why they can't recruit is because they have a terrible recruiter as their head coach. <laughs> but, but if I'm them, yeah. I'm doing all of this. And, and what it's going to do yeah. at the end of the day is it's going to apply pressure on their conference to try to Lights make some things fire. right. Because, yeah, because USC is their biggest brand. Like they, Well, Oregon might be right now. But USC yeah. is supposed to be their biggest brand. 
And so they need to make sure that their biggest brands are happy with the way that they're doing business. Yeah, no, you made a great point right there. And maybe that will put some pressure on the Pac-12 commissioner. We've been saying this for the entire time we've been doing this podcast. I'm blue in the face from how much I'm telling like the Pac-12 to get their ish straight, right? So hopefully... Hopefully that starts to happen. Okay, before we wrap things up, we did get some questions thrown Joshua's way on Twitter. So Joshua, have at it. It is your Twitter questions of the week. What'd you get? So I got two questions. Okay. First one is, who do you think are the most underrated players in the draft? So I have to answer that with a preface where... My scope is through the Big Ten a lot of times. It's what I watch mostly in college football. I know some of the bigger names nationally, but those guys wouldn't be underrated if they're bigger names. One guy who wasn't necessarily underrated, but who, I mean, he he basically went out there and said, I'm the best tackle in this draft is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous workout. He was, his vertical was better than some of the wide receivers. Like he was breaking records, did a great job. Antoine Winfield Jr. is a player that I really like that I know teams have a ton of questions about because he's not a big guy and he's had some injuries, but he ran really fast. And I thought he was the best player on Minnesota's team besides Tanner Morgan last year. Guy that I really like out of Ohio State who I thought did a good job at the combine is Malik Harrison. Yeah, I heard he was good. Yeah, bigger body linebacker. You know, teams don't necessarily love bigger body linebackers, but uh, that's exactly what it is. And then finally, uh, a guy who really just killed it um, and his stock was going up is um, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Wide receiver, 6'4", 235, ran sub 4'4", four, 5", four, in the 40. Like, I really don't know what more people want to see. He jumped yeah. well. He caught the ball well. Um, those guys are damn near unguardable. And so he probably made some money. Next question I got was and, and that question was from my guy uh Cody Cleary at C Cleary ninety five. Uh this one's from Maxwell Thanks, Cody Cone. for the question. Yeah, appreciate it, Cody. Maxwell Cone at Maxwell Cone. Uh, what are GMs, coaches and scouts actually looking for at the NFL combine that they can't get out of an interview or watching film? Okay. They're not necessarily looking for anything. Yeah. They're just they're checking boxes. So what they're looking for is if they think you're a four six speed on tape, they want to see you run four six or better. You know, if you're a wide receiver and they're like, man, this guy looked like he could get up on tape. They want to see you jump well. You know, they want to see if you're a guy who maybe struggled to create separation as a defensive lineman, how long are your arms? You know, like those are all important things. But you're right. I, I think the interview process is probably the most important for a lot of players. And then, yep. you know, if you're a quarterback, you just have to throw the ball well when you go out there. If you're a linebacker, you know, you have to follow directions and do the drills full speed, you know, and they'll come back around at pro day and everything. But you know, they're, they're really trying to confirm what they already saw. And then if they can't confirm it, they're going to ask a question of why. Well, see, anybody can answer these questions. Sure. But Joshua has the inside track. So that's why we are doing his questions of the week, because I think you guys out there have so many questions. And sometimes we don't get to answer them on this podcast in terms of our, you know, topics for the week. But ask them on Twitter at Joshua's uh, Twitter account, which is at RIP underscore J-E-P. There we go. So go follow him. Ask your questions because we'll be answering them right here every week on the podcast. That'll do it. 
for this episode of Press Pass. You can go follow us on Instagram uh, at Press Pass Pod. You heard where you can follow Joshua. Send him your questions. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV on Instagram and Twitter. We really appreciate you guys tuning in every single week. We wanted to thank uh, all of you guys again. We wanted to congratulate Joshua and his fiance again. Uh, Awesome. Very cool. And you guys have a great week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the combine. And before we know it, spring ball is going to be here. All right, guys. Enjoy. Bye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.